promises in the word and, and claiming them. So just kind of going through the word, getting to know the word, and um, just God has told us a lot in our lives and, and, and through his word. And sometimes they just kind of, his promises go by. So I'd like to just spend time with people and just get in his word deep and, and claim his promises for us and, and have them to use every day in our life. That's awesome. We've got the Word of God. We've got the book of Acts going on with gifts of healing. We've got the, the gifts of the Spirit and dreams and visions and prophecy. That's just three of the many connect groups we've got going on in this quarter. So what we do at our church is we do a, a quarter of connect groups, then we shut them down for a couple weeks, three weeks. People take breaks. People switch groups. Leaders can say, I'm going to take a, a break. New leaders step up. And so we're about to launch a new quarter of connect groups this uh, week. So can I have all the connect group leaders stand where you are? Let's pray over you guys. And we just wanted to highlight a few of them here today. So the Connect Group leaders say, I'm one of them. I do a Bible study here on Sunday mornings at 8.59 to 9.45 before the Sunday morning service. Everybody's invited to that to do a Bible study with me. We have a lot of other Connect Groups. We have a, there's a, a mommy's a Connect Group. Okay, so if you have a bunch of brats and you want to throw them in a room, shut the door. And then the mommies can actually have an adult conversation without being interrupted. That's your group, right? Is that how you would describe it? Okay. What? For those of you that don't know me, I have six of the most wonderful kids in the entire church, and we pretty much have to tolerate everybody else's kids. So let's pray over these guys. Thank you guys for leading a connect group, helping shepherd the people of God, reaching out to your neighborhoods, to your work associates, and really expanding the kingdom of God through the power of small groups. Father, we bless these guys. Reach your hands out to these leaders in the church that are helping build a great church here, a stronghold for God in this region. Father, we bless these guys. We pray for protection over them because when they begin uh, shepherding your people, Satan loves to attack their homes. And so we say no in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we pray for the angels of God, the peace of God, the Holy Spirit of God to rest upon these folks and giving them protection, wisdom, blessing, prosperity, and breakthrough in their own lives as they rolled their sleeves to help build community in this house. We prophesy over these connect groups and say they will be the best connect groups we have ever had this quarter in the history of this church. Life and liberty and worship and freedom and love reign in this church through these connect groups this quarter in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Well, I got a great testimony uh, lesson, Donette, through uh, Shelly Cowper-Smith, Mark's wife, um, that, that you guys prayed over her this last week. And she said she, she's had a chronic condition for probably, what, 15, 16 years. And she said that there are, there are, there are there's some symptoms in her body that have, been, that have disappeared for the first time in 14 years. And that just happened this week. Yeah. So look, we, we pray for the sick here and we don't stop praying for the sick here. Even when we don't get the results we want, we keep praying for the sick here because that's what Jesus did. And if you keep praying, you're going to get some results. And we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. I want to celebrate also, uh, the Hoyts, uh, who's one of the drummers. I I saw them a few minutes there. there, Well, okay. Well, yeah. You guys just had a new baby. Awesome. And she, she's in the, uh, the baby center. Oh, he's hungry. Yeah. I didn't know how to quite say that, uh, tactfully. He's hungry. Congratulations, you guys. That's awesome. 
Today I want to talk to you briefly about the power of life-giving friendships. And I want to talk about how to develop life-giving relationships. We were all made by God. We were created by God to connect with God, but also with others. In church, we have been very good at teaching on the God-shaped hole in each one of us. Now, I'm going to say something that's probably going to shock you at first, but I can prove it biblically. All of us have a God-shaped hole in the inside of us, and we talk about that well in church, and that God's the only one that can fill that God-shaped hole, and everybody in life that's trying to find their purpose in life, trying to find their meaning in life, trying to find that deep satisfaction within their own soul, are only going to find it when they receive Jesus Christ, and He comes into their soul, the Creator of their soul, and that hole is filled up. And we say, you can't look to your spouse for it, you can't look to your kids for it, you can't look to your career for it, and that's all true. But there's a truth that we don't teach well on at all, if at all, and that is there's also a human-shaped hole in you that God can't fill. And if you read the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, you see it. Really, the first chapter and second chapter. Here's Adam created by God. It was just God and Adam. And he's walking with God in the cool of the day. Made in God's image. But God said something radical. God looks at the man he just made and said this phrase. It is... Now listen. Remember when he created the world... He created the cattle and he created the fish and he created the sky and he created all. Cre- and every time he created something, he said, it is good. And he said, it is good. It is good. On the last day, he creates, sixth day, he creates man in his image and said, it is very good. So Adam was created very good. But then God looked at him at one point and said, it is not good that Adam is alone. See, God created us not only to have relationship with Him, but relationship with other people. I know that bums you out, but it's true. And the needs and the satisfaction of your soul, the longing to love and to be loved, to be known and to be accepted and to give and receive love, if you are not experiencing that on a horizontal plane, you are not going to live a happy life. I know it's true. One person said a happy marriage is heaven on earth and a bad marriage is hell on earth. Relationships are hard. But if you can work through the relationship difficulties to the place where that relationship is working, it really is heaven on earth. And you can say amen to what I'm saying today. So God creates Eve for Adam. And listen, Adam knew, felt, tasted the difference. Between his relationship with God Almighty and his relationship with Eve. Because Adam, comparing the two relationships, did not say about God what he said about Eve. He turned to her and said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Yeah! I mean, he was excited 
about her. He wasn't excited about the giraffe or the hippo or the platypus or the hippopotamus or the rabbit and all these other, quote, help meets that God brought by him trying to find a an equal. It wasn't until Eve came along that Adam prophesied, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, a man will leave his mom and dad and cleave to his wife. So there's a human-shaped hole. There's a relationship need on, in, in every one of us that you cannot deny. Most of us deny... And, you know, you consider yourself well-balanced because you have a chip on both shoulders. (laughs) Most of us, if not all of us, have been hurt by people. And we have hurt people. Therefore, we try to avoid relationships. But you are robbing yourself of 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 the life God has created you for. Now, we've confused these four categories. We've confused friends with friendly people. You see, when the plane lands, the conversation's over, that was just an acquaintance. When the church service is over and the crowd leaves, that was just familiarity. That's what the connect groups are talking about. When the project is over, so is the team. That was camaraderie. But Jesus has called us to something much deeper and longer lasting than all of these three. And that is friendship. Look what he says in John 15, 15. This is God talking to us. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, say it out loud. Doesn't that just feel good? I have called you friends. That's the apex of Christianity. That's the ultimate calling in life. Friendship with God and friendship with one another. Everything you and I desire in life, in relationships, is found not in a boss-employee relationship, not in a pastor-personal relationship. It's not in a a team-oriented relationship. It's in something called friendship. And we all long for it. We all need it. Jesus explains friendship this way. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Full disclosure is what brought these guys into friendship. I remember one youth pastor telling me that when he first showed up to this particular church, I don't like saying this because it it sounds like I'm criticizing other churches. I'm criticizing a religious spirit, okay? The pastor said, uh, when he came up and said, I want to volunteer in the church, the pastor said, I'm not going to shake your hand for one year until you prove your faithfulness. I thought, what a diabolical religious system of legalism and performance and failure is that? When Jesus is out having dinner with the worst of the worst of society. Religiosity is mean. And yet it says it's offering the friendship of God. And yet it uh, hands out. Fear and shame and controlling and condemnation. So as we are in this church trying to develop life-giving friendships with one another. There are many things I could teach on today. This really would be a whole weekend seminar on relationships. But I just want to look at three things that we can start with that we need to know. You guys ready? Number one, you need to know that many people are lonely. The innate need to connect marks us from the nursery to the grave. You know, it's proven that infants that are not held, hugged, or touched, even if they have parents that give them food and clothing, will have a retarded neurological disorder. Now, 
We know this firsthand because we adopted Samuel from Vietnam who was completely neglected for the first 15 months of his life. He was put in an orphanage in Vietnam. He was not held. He was not touched. He was not hugged. All he was given was two bottles a day until he was 15 months old. He was completely neglected emotionally and physically almost to the point of death. Our pediatrician, when they first saw Samuel, said he has been starved to death. He looked like a little frog. I mean, he was just tiny, tiny. And when when, uh, we first adopted him, he would go up to the wall and he would bang his head against the wall incessantly. I was in a hotel room with him in Vietnam, just hanging out for three weeks trying to get his visa. And I'd just be sitting there watching the three channels in Vietnam. One was uh, Vietnamese MTV. That was very interesting. And there were a couple other, there were a couple other channels. And Samuel would get away and he would go over to this, uh, this hollow wooden door in the hotel. Before I knew it, he'd be going, boom, 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 boom. And it's echoing all the way down the hallway, you know, in the hotel. I was grab him, bring him all the way back. I put chairs up against it. I put, you know, mattress up against the door, anything uh, to protect him. When we finally got him home, we had to buy him a helmet off the internet. So he stopped. But what was he trying to do? Um, psychologists tell you that they, and the child development uh, psychologists tell you, he's trying to stimulate his nervous system. Because it had not yet been developed because he did not have that physical touch. Social isolation is the number one reason for suicide. So that's from the cradle. In fact, there's something psychologists call the human moment. This need for affection and touch is best described in, in what's called the human moment. And that is when an infant is crying... And mom walks in and looks into the crib and the infant reaches up spontaneously and voluntarily, just what I'm made for. And the mom reaches down and they connect. That is the human moment. In fact, uh, God calls himself a mother when he's trying to describe his love for us. He says a mother may even forsake her nursing child, but I will never forsake you. So from the, from the, from the, the moment that we're born, we are crying out for affection and love and to be loved. All the way to the grave. There's a, a couple that got married. He was a widower. And uh, he fell in love with a woman in his church. She was a retired missionary. And he was 84 and she was 81. And she had never been married before because she forsook dating so she could go on the mission field and she spent her whole life he was a retired doctor at 84 and 81 they walked down the aisle get married they threw off the age curve of the new married class by four decades six decades but see from the moment we're born to to our senior years we long for connectedness a chicago times columnist mary paul wrote a she got vulnerable and wrote this this column that she was lonely she got seven times the amount of response of any other article she's ever written. One of the things they found, uh, sociologists, is that 90% of men lack a true friend. Now listen to this. But they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Why is that? Well, now listen, I'm going to be talking about a lot of psychology and sociology, but listen, please. I know we're charismatic church, we're word-oriented people, but do you know the Bible talks more about the mind and the personality and the soul of the human being than practically anything else. So sociology and psychology is just studying God's beautiful creation, which is you and I. 
So don't throw sociologists and psychologists under the bus. Just because you speak in tongues, can you keep your marriage together? Hello. Just because you can heal the sick, can you balance your checkbook and not fight over the money in your house? You know, just because you come to church and wag your Bible, you're having problems in your sex life at home? Hello. Okay, so why do, why, why do, we, why do men not to prefer to talk about the fact that they're lonely and have no friends? Because psychiatrist Jacqueline Olds researched and found that loneliness is something people associate with losers. Mother Teresa says loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. Alameda County study is one of the most thorough research projects on relationships found this. America is the lowest point of community in its history. The sense of community. And we also have the lowest education performance, the highest teen pregnancy, highest depression, and highest crime rates. Do you think there's a connection? See, connecting has to do with our relational world. Achieving has to do with our accomplishments. And what we have done is we have exchanged our connecting with one another with our achieving in America. And we're losing what God has created us for in the meantime. Edward Hollowell, the senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School, said this. Our society is increasingly devoted to, obsessed with, and enslaved by achieving. And increasingly bankrupt and impoverished when it comes to connecting. You see, the truth is, nobody who has achieved a lot in life. And yet, has not developed meaningful family life and friendships is happy. My father was one of them. He was enormously successful. And yet all of his relationships were trashed. And when he was on his deathbed in the hospital, and I'm standing looking at him, and he couldn't talk because of the cancer, and he could just look at me with his eyes. The look in his eyes said everything. He had said it to my sisters before I got there, how remorseful he was. That he did not have better relationships with his children. And he couldn't do anything about it at that point. He achieved a lot. Except for his connectedness. We have another situation right now that's happening just like that. And I don't don't want to be uh, too transparent on somebody else's behalf, but it's really a shame to watch somebody who has not learned how to develop life-giving relationships coming to the end of their life and what, what it looks like. And yet a person who has not achieved much in life but has loving, life-giving relationships is a rich, rich person. For centuries, the best thinkers have tried to tackle this problem. This God-designed hunger for community. Plato wrote The Republic. Augustine wrote The City of God. It's why we attend churches, go on blind dates, and are on these social networking sites. We're trying to connect. In a book called The All Better Book, the question was posed to children. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Here are some, some suggestions from some children. Kalani, age 8, says, People should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not lonely people together in the newspaper. Now, you know, there, there are these social dating uh, sites that are actually trying to do that very thing. 
Max 9 says, make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it would say, how are you doing? And what happened to you today? Mark is like, that's all I need. And I will be a happy man. I could have the best of both worlds. Matt chapter 8, if you don't know our senior associate pastor, if you take him out to lunch, you have made a friend for life. Matthew chapter, I mean Matthew chapter 8. Matt, age 8. Wow. Am I a preacher or what? Matt, age 8, says we could get people a pet or a husband or wife and take them places. It's a pretty simple solution. Or this last one. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these things. Well, listen, Jesus has the answer. This is what he said to us, family. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He didn't say the way you build church buildings together, the way you feed the poor together, the way that you worship together. That's not how people will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. He said the way that we are loving one another. A community of loving people is God's signature. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. The book koinonia, I mean the the word koinonia fellowship in the New Testament, the Greek word Jesus used, it literally means a love that cements the believer to the Lord Jesus and to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to be a supernatural community. Now listen, this is really important. The Bible does not say that we are to create unity. It says we are to endeavor to try everything you can, strain every ounce of your soul to maintain the unity of the spirit. In other words, God created us unified. Adam and Eve in the garden were unified. He made us in his image. Now listen, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are a unit. They are completely compatible, completely submitted to one another, completely in love with one another, completely prefer one another. They are completely one. And he made us in his image. Let us make them in our image. So whenever we hurt one another, backbite, gossip, criticize one another, be unforgiving toward one another, manipulate, control one another, we are dishonoring who we are and we're dishonoring the Trinity who made us in their image. That's why Satan, his job is to sow strife and anger into our relationships. Because Satan loves to rip us apart the holy spirit is trying to keep us together now we need to partner with the holy spirit through humility and honesty and love to maintain the unity of the spirit and we can do it because the holy spirit is active in the church and if we would just partner with him we could hold together the body of christ in such profound love That people would see us and say, they must be followers of Jesus. But instead, we see bumper stickers. Jesus, I believe in you. Protect me from your followers. This is what Jesus says. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Which is, we must love one another unconditionally. 
Jesus has loved you unconditionally. He wants us to love one another unconditionally. And this is what the early church looked like. This is what Les was talking about earlier. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus said this about the power of community in the church. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree in harmony on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is fighting for our unity. Satan is fighting against our unity. That is why we need to agree with Jesus for every relationship we have in our lives today. So Jesus can have what He wants. His John 17 prayer, I pray that they will be one, just like you and I are one, so that they and us can be one. That is what Satan's fighting against. And that's what we need to be fighting for. Community is worth fighting for. We just about lost a precious relationship this week. And through much tears and prayers and communication, that relationship was one. And I'm telling you, everybody is happy because of it. But it took effort and and gut-wrenching honesty. And I know that's uncomfortable, but the payoff is worth everything. Because your relationship goes to a higher, deeper, broader I mean, these people I'm talking about, which I won't be a transparent or vulnerable uh, for their sake. These people I'm talking about now, if you were to say something bad about them, I will, I will punch you in the nose. That's how I feel right now. Because we've gone through the t- trenches of relational conflict together. And we came out understanding each other deeper, loving each other uh, more. I feel like, man, we know each other. We love each other. We were humbled ourselves from one another. You are one of my friends. Are you following me? I won't punch you in the nose, by the way. Don't test me, because who knows? Community is the place God made us for. Community is the place where God meets us. Okay, so you say, all right, I know know it's true. I know it's true. I know it's true. But you don't understand. Look, here's my second point. We already know this. It's difficult because nobody is normal. This is the second thing you need to know. Number one. Many people are lonely. Number two, nobody, you're not normal. Don't flatter yourself like that. You fell from grace just like I did. Look what the Bible says. Everybody but you sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Isn't that the way that we read the Bible? Isn't that, whenever I'm, I'm teaching, we're thinking about other people who really need this. Don't we? Boy, I know so-and-so, this would be real. I'm going to get them the tape. God, I wish they were here. God says, no, I'm glad you're here. Every one of us pretends to be healthier, kinder than we really are. We all engage in what might be called depravity management. In other words, we have fallen from God's glory. We are depraved in our humanity and personalities. And we just try to manage our depravity, especially in public. We try to look really good. And then we get home and our family really knows us. I mean, Adam's speech, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, once they fell from glory, he was singing a new tune. This woman that you gave me. 
<laughs> That's, he's far off. That first song he wrote, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This woman that you gave me. Most of us, you know, when we get into relationship, it's kind of like going to the store, the, you know, and you see these tags, there's a special section. It's called the as is section. You know, you got these little tags on the clothes that says as is. What does that mean? This piece of art, this article of clothing has flaws. You can't really see them. They're not glaring. But once you buy it and put it on, you're going to find the flaw. This thing kind of irritates the back of my neck. What's wrong with this? Well, the seam's over here instead of in the back, right? Isn't that the way it is? You know, you fall, you fall in love. Everybody else can see the as is tag on the person you chose. Everybody can see this glaring as is issues, but you can't see them. Or you think, yeah, but that's going to go away after we get married. Right? We have these unspoken expectations of making them into the, our image once we get married. And when that as is gets worse and it, and it starts to fit less comfortably. But you see, we don't put ourselves in the as is category. Everybody else is in the as is category. But you see, we're the ones that are easiest to get along with. I like what psychologist Anne Lamont wrote. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) You see, we try to separate the world into normal people and healthy people like us and then the difficult people. There's this article, there's a, a, a title of an article in a magazine that actually says this. Totally normal women who stalk their ex-boyfriends. Well, if stalking is totally normal. See, our dilemma is we want to connect. It's why we go on dates, join churches, form friendships, get married, have children. But rejection, the fear of rejection, condemnation, contempt, resentment, arrogance, selfishness, envy, it sabotages us. Connecting with as-is people, which we all are, is like trying to cuddle with porcupines. I mean, listen, wolves run in packs. Does that... I mean, that's what it's like, you know? When you, when you come to church and you're supposed to be in a relationship with somebody, you're in the worship team, you're working in the children's ministry... And you can see the as tag on this person is larger than anybody else's. And you're like, okay, Pastor John said, I'm supposed to relate to this person. <laughs> this is the new team member that has been given to me. See, listen. There's a reason why wolves run in packs, sheep huddle in flocks, herds of elephants and gaggles of geese, and even murder of cows. But there is no special name for a group of porcupines. They travel alone. (laughs) Except one time per year in the springtime. And they actually have to do a dance and they have to move their quills around to be able to have that special moment. And that's what we try to do in church. We try to negotiate one another, get close to one another, not hurt one another, or get hurt by one another. And how many of you have ever done that and experienced what this guy experienced? Oh. 
And then, and then, and then you come to the pastoral staff and we pick everyone out and we get you to trust again. And then this happens the second time around. I'm done. I'm out. See ya. Have a nice time in church. And you get blown out. But here's the truth. You've done that to other people. I have not. See, you're still in denial. God has called us together. Look, most of us come to church into a Christian community and we have specific ideals of what it should be like. I'm going to just ask the pastoral staff. We get it all the time. Everybody comes with their paradigm of what church is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be like. I have my own paradigm of what it's supposed to look like. And when it doesn't pan out, we say, oh, those people are a bunch of hypocrites down there. Well, there's probably a couple in Joe's church or Harry's church. or I mean, I can point some churches that have hypocrites, but most churches are made up of Imperfect people trying to love, learn, and live life together. And I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. The great theologian pastor, German pastor who Hitler uh, um, murdered, put to death. The moment this disillusionment comes over the individual and the community, what disillusionment? That there is no perfect church. You finally come to that realization. He says, the better for both. Those who love their dream of Christian community more than the actual Christian community itself becomes destroyers of that Christian community. The Bible is full of imperfect people. All you have to do is read the book of Genesis. You've got adultery, murder, and the, you know, Cain and Abel. You've got brothers being jealous of brothers and throwing uh, brothers into pits and selling them into slavery. You've got incest. Man, you've got uh, manipulation and lying and control. I mean, you've got the human race, the fallen human race. I mean, you know, through the whole Bible, Jesus' disciples, what a bunch of church people. You got it all the way through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas not getting along and they separate ways, separate ways. I mean, it's all through it. Aren't you encouraged today? And here's my final point. Third thing you need to know, you need help sometimes too. I like what the author John Orberg of a book called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them says. When I'm alone, I can convince myself I'm quite a humble person. Then when I'm with other people and I hear someone else receiving all the praise, a voice that is decidedly not humble at all starts protesting inside of me loudly. When I'm all alone, I can convince myself that I'm quite a compassionate person. I can watch Hallmark commercials and feel very moved. Then when I'm with real human beings and I realize that I would have to expend energy and sacrifice time and be uncomfortable to practice compassion, it turns out I'm not nearly as altruistic as I thought I was. Look what the Bible says. If we claim that we are free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make him a liar and claim a claim that only shows off your ignorance of God. Now, here's the truth. Humility and trust are the foundation of community, not perfection. You see, when you and I have our imperfect parts, it creates shame in us. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden and shame. Well, I don't want you to see what I'm really like, my failures, my faults, my weaknesses. It causes me to hide. 
I back out of ministry. I leave the church. I don't hang out with those friends as much as I used to. Or I just don't relate to you as transparently as I used to. Because I don't want you to see my bad points. But honesty and acceptance is actually the only way into true community. That's why people have gone through AA or NA or SA. They find life and community there because the first step of the 12 step is to admit you have a problem and you cannot handle it on your own. And they go through this process that's, that's actually founded by two Christians, Alcoholics Anonymous. But the church was not only very poor, they were incapable of receiving alcoholics into the churches in the 1920s. It was like the homosexual issue today. Homosexuals don't think the church is the safe place. Alcoholics did not in the 1920s. So AA had to be formed by two Christian men. And they just took biblical principles. So I have talked to people who have gone through Alcoholic Anonymous or uh, uh, Narcotic Anonymous. And they come to church because they finally find that the higher power is Jesus. And they think they are going to come find the most honest, humble, transparent, accepting community on earth. Is there anything better than the AA community? The church, they are told. Jesus and his followers. So they have told me time and time again, when they come to church, what they find is so disappointing. People are not being honest with their faults. They're not being transparent. And they are gossiping and criticizing one another. Rather than standing up in church and saying, Hi, my name is John. I have fallen from grace. (laughs) That's perfect, Francisco. I love it. What's the Bible say? Love covers... All sins. Listen, if you're a gospel in this church, if you want to talk to other people about how other people afflict you, listen to this. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. One of the best definitions of family is a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. Now listen, I've got to close up quickly, I know. If you want quality friendships... You can't always be the strong one. Look at the Bible says. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. It is precisely your weaknesses that are a point of connecting that make deeper friendships. I love being in connect groups and everybody's kind of got the Bible and they got their hallelujah on. And then somebody gets honest and said, I've really been struggling this week. And all of a sudden, the moment. Is anybody else going to be honest? You know what? Me too. Me too. Now, right now, some of that scares you guys. You'll never go to a connect group. But let me tell you what happens in that room. When I hear Mark say, hey, in our young marriage group, people are getting honest about their marriages and some are really struggling. And now... They're laughing, they're crying, they're sharing, and the, they would not miss that group for anything. I said, don't do anything. You don't, he doesn't have any work to do now. Because the friendship that is take, has taken place in that group is what every small group facilitator hopes for, is that you'll truly find true community. And it comes from just being honest about who you are. Humility is honest assessment of your present condition.
If your primary goal, now listen, I'm coming to a close. If your primary goal is to hide your brokenness from others' eyes, you may get quite good at it and may convince others of your strength and competence, but you will never live in community. Friends serve one another. I mean, think about the guy that was on the mat in the Bible. The four friends, his small group, that took the paralyzed guy on the mat, ripped open the roof where Jesus had a Bible study going on, dropped him down in front of Jesus in that big religious crowd, and healed him. Think about him. Lives the rest of his life, living life large. Think about every time he looked at that mat. I suspect having his legs back was awesome. But I bet you having those friends was just as awesome. I bet you every time he looked at that mat, he thought about his friends that went out of their way to get his needs met. And what about his humility? What about his humiliation? Being the crippled guy that gets, that gets lowered down into that roof in front of a Bible, interrupting a Bible study. This person's like, no, 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 let's not do this. No, 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 I'm not important enough. No, Jesus is teaching. No, all the Pharisees are there. No, the church leader's there. It's a church meeting. No, stop, stop ripping the roof open. All the attention's going to be on me. The foundational building blocks that help create meaningful relationships is giving and receiving and this is my last point and it's a biggie apostle paul says no church communicated with me in giving and receiving but you only if you are the person who will not receive help listen big right now okay this is going to be a real breakthrough for you and those in your life if you can identify your as is tag which is i'm the strong one and you're about to have an opportunity to enter into true friendships. If you are the one that will not receive help, you stop community. When you won't receive help, you stop love. And when you won't receive help, you stop God. Because I've learned that most of the prayers that get answered in my life, most of the way that God uh, moves in my life is He picks people to move through. Look what King David said. The Lord is for me among those who help me. He recognized God and those around him. Jesus received financial support for his ministry. He didn't always just create a pile of money. He let people give to him. When Jesus came to Peter, wanted to wash his feet, serve Peter, Peter said, no, 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 no. Jesus said, if you will not let me help you and serve you, you can't be a part of me in the community I'm trying to build. It is critical that you learn how to receive or you are stopping the community God's trying to build in this church and in your life. When somebody compliments you, say, thanks and believe it. When somebody offers you financial support, say thanks and may God bless you in return. I don't like anonymous giving. I don't like it. The Bible says when you give to the poor, don't tell people about it because you're just doing that so you look good. That's the only place in the Bible that says don't tell. I don't like anonymous giving. Here's why. Somebody just gave anonymously to a family in our church recently. I'm on the patio out here with them and the couple said, who gave this to us? We want to thank them. I said, I don't know. They wanted to give it anonymously. Now change that in for you walking up to that person saying, I just really have compassion on your situation. 
And I feel like God wants me to do this for you. And you hand them money and they receive it. That emotional exchange, that giving and receiving creates community. The anonymous giving does not. They don't know who their friends are. I have a friend in the crowd somewhere. Now, if you have to give anonymously because you feel like maybe you're doing it so that you will look spiritual, then you need to give anonymously. That's the only motivation for giving anonymously and to the poor so you don't shame the poor. You don't go, hey, they're poor and I'm rich and I'm going to give to them. But when we're in community, I love, I, when I give people money, I say, hi, this is from me. I love you. And they receive it and there is a deeper connection there. I let people give to me too. I love it. I've learned to receive help. Jesus even did. And this is my last point. And this is going to take you up a level that you might not be able to go up to if you're a person that has a hard time receiving help. Here's the big one. And this will make all the difference in your community. Ask for help too. I don't know if it's your pride, your shame, or your fear that will not allow you to ask for help. But let me tell you something. Jesus asked for help when he was in the garden. He said, Peter, James, and John, I am so depressed. I feel like I'm going to die. Would you please come pray with me? The Son of God asked for help from human beings. So if it's good enough for him, it should be good enough for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray against the fear, the hiding, the fear of rejection, not wanting to be the dog with all the quills in the face, not being the, wanting to be the one to cause that kind of harm. Father, I pray there'd be such humility, honesty, truth, transparency, love and acceptance in this house that you could look upon that house and just say, that's my church. That's the place I want to dwell. I pray for those in here today, Lord, who've shut themselves out of human relationships, that they would begin to trust again. I pray for those who are always the strong one in this house, Lord. That they would begin to let people in again. So healing and health and life can happen in this place. Your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, speaking of community, I'm going to call the prayer teams down. And they're going to pray for the sick. They're going to pray for any need you might have. It's the point of encounter. Jesus said, if two on earth agree in harmony, my community in my name... I'm there, I'll do whatever you ask. So when you come down for prayer and you're in a place of agreement, expect Jesus, the central personality of this community, to do a miracle in your life. So prayer teams, please come down. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the way you enter into this eternal family. You've got to make the first step. Jesus made himself vulnerable. When he was saying to his disciples, I am so depressed, I feel like I'm going to die. Come pray with me. He was about to go die for your sins. He's paid the price for you. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, right now is your moment. When I dismiss everybody to come down for prayer or to go out for fellowship, I'm going to ask you to come down here and say, I want to ask Jesus Christ into my life. The moment you do that, 
Jesus is going to forgive you for every sin you've ever committed, not even talk to you about him. Then he's going to breathe his Holy Spirit into your soul and you're going to experience the peace of God. And you will enter the eternal family of God. You will become a son or daughter of God. And the last thing I want to say is, right after church, we're going to exercise community by going to Roundtable Pizza and we're going to eat together and just have fellowship. Koinonia, the community of God. It's right over there in PQ. It's in your bulletin. We're all going to go over there and just eat together, hang together, have, have fun in community and fill that human-shaped hole in the inside of us by getting to know each other a little better. So, God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Check out a connect group. Come down for prayer, for salvation or healing. And I'll see you around table pizza in just a few minutes. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.